space-time, the ever-expanding frontier. These are the records of the most needlessly complicated rewatch of the Star Trek franchise ever. Its mission, to locate every second, contemplate every eon, from outside time to the Big Bang, to the 20th century, all the way to the end of all existence. To do what no sane entity has ever done before. This is the Temporal Trek Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Temporal Trek Podcast. We are in Chronodate Season 3, Episode 17 of the podcast and Season 1, Episode 15 of Enterprise. Uh, I'm not going to be alone on this one. This is ShuttlePod 1. Uh, you might think I would have been alone you know, to add the atmosphere of being stuck in a pod on my own talking to myself. But no, uh, there's not just two. There are three people who are going to be talking about this episode. So uh, I'm just going to bring up on the device. I'm going to go for uh, Matt. Matt, first, as you were on our last episode, so I'm pulling you out of the waiting room uh, in the Temporal Trek uh, waiting room over in Temporal Investigations. Uh, how are you doing, Matt? Incoming transmission. I'm doing great. How are you? Not too bad. Not too bad. Uh, better for having watched this episode and better for seeing you again, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, and last but not least, uh, it is Paul I'm bringing up as well. Incoming transmission. Yes, I'm still here. I'm still, you know, I, I still haven't found the exit door. I mean, now Matt's stuck in here with me as well. I mean, the two of us were, were searching all over the place for the door, for the exit door. We just cannot find it. It's very applicable considering the <laughs> yes, episode. Exactly. I think. I think that's what it well, was. I think he wanted to give us that atmosphere, ready, you know, that preparation for for recording the show. Forward planning. Yeah, like one of those. Cr- yeah, one of those cruel directors who um, submits their actors to trauma. <laughs> yeah. so Nothing like a bit of method acting before we uh, get into things. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what I don't understand is, I uh, you know, my office is no bigger than maybe a little cupboard space, and you've got this huge waiting room where everyone can wait. This is fantastic. <laughs> um, you've got you've probably got a Starbucks and everything else in there, but I've got you know a triple and a pad. That's all I get. Uh, it's crazy. Um, right. Well, uh, you're here for Shuttle Pod One. Uh, we'll let us get on with it because uh, it's there's a lot to talk about, but there's not a lot that seems to go on in this episode. Um, uh, thoughts generally about Shuttle Shuttle Pod One and sort of memories when you first watched it. Uh, let's start with Matt. This is um, this is one of my favourite episodes. It might be my favourite episodes. I love these sort of bottle. Is it bottle they call it bottle episodes? Yeah, I, I like how it sort of allows you to get to know the two characters a bit more and it unpacks Malcolm's um, character a bit more after uh, uh, oh I've forgotten the name of the, that episode I'm showing my um, I'm show, showing my poor skills Silent um, Enemy? The, yes Silent Enemy um, so it sort of follows up a lot of things mm. things from there and um, it reminds me of um, one of my favourite Red Dwarf episodes as well called um, Marooned where Ooh. it's got the two main characters uh, stuck uh, for um for about well, for like ninety percent of the episode, just talking to each other about their lives. Um, I think it's a really great um, way to do character development, which is such an important part of Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, totally agree with Matt there. It's uh, it was a show that the first time I saw it, I um, thought, oh, here we go. It's the you know, it, it's it's uh, the Malcolm and, and, uh, and 
well, the Trip and Reed show, basically, isn't it? I mean, it's <laughs> it's, it's going to be the two of them stuck in the thing. It's going to be the whole episode. Thought so it better be well written because these things can go <laughs> south very quickly. And actually, they didn't do too bad a job. And I think the the two actors as well were sort of starting to get a bit of chemistry together. And then you can you, know, you can see that they're uh, they're starting to work well together and bounce off each other and and not that. So actually, um, when I come to watch it, you know, this time for you know for a bit of revision for the show. Um, I actually enjoyed it again. I think I, I enjoyed it the first time as well, and it was it, it was one of those little sort of um, hidden gems. I think it's uh, it's surprising how how good it is. And like you say, there's nothing in it, and nothing happens. It's just a one-off episode that you could watch all by yourself. It has you know, no consequences later on, as we'll talk about. But yeah, it's it's a surprisingly good episode considering it is just a bottle show, and they you know. Uh, but you know, great character development. This, when the the show first came out, was one of those ones that stayed in the memory. Um, all the other ones that are sort of a bit blasé, a bit meh. You know, they kind of get forgotten. You know, I've I've forgotten far too many scenes of all the episodes we've reviewed so far. But this one, pretty much beat for beat, I almost remember the entire plot. Uh, and it is, yeah, there's not very much here. It's two characters with opposing viewpoints. Um, it's it's always almost like someone is writing this episode that they've got exactly the opposite, polar opposite opinions of something. Um, and that's it. That's all there is. Uh, but it provides some much needed character growth because it has been sidelined for, you know, uh, philosophy problem of the day or shooty, shooty, pew, pew, bang, bangs uh, for the technical term. And, um, you know, it hasn't happened as much as I was expecting uh, for a for a first season. Uh, but here it is. It's a nice two hander for two uh, um, actors to really get into their characters. Um, we open up with the first scene before the credits and we uh, we start off with a date it's really rare uh, and and aggravating for a podcast that is all about temporal trek and putting things in the right order um, that we don't find out the date until the end of the episode normally but this time thanks to reed um i don't know something about brits i don't know but we put the date at the beginning that's how it's supposed to be done so we find out that it is november 9th and it is the 2151 uh, shuttle pod is returning they've seemed to have suffered some damage because they can't seem to scan uh, so instead of using scanners it's the next best thing you stick your head up to the window and have a look out and try and find the enterprise visually and that's what reed's doing um all but sticking is you know sticking his head on the brow and having a look around uh, how you do that in space where you're trying to find things among debris and asteroids who knows um it so we found out that it's two months since the last date we had in the Enterprise first season. So in that two months, we've had Cold Front, Dear Doctor, Sleeping Dogs and Shadows of Pajem. That was a busy two months on board the Enterprise. Uh, quite a lot has happened there. And uh, now nothing's going to happen. Uh, clearly, they are saving money on the budget. Uh, there's two, two guys stuck in a shuttle. Uh, any th other thoughts on the opening scene? And we'll start with Paul this time. Um, yeah, it, it was just a, a nice little um, setup, really. I mean, that, there was you know, not much more to it than that. Um, a bit of a sort of, a, is it MacGuffin? Is that the right word I'm looking for? With this, you know, the sensor's not working, but, you know, is it, so therefore we can't find out <laughs> more than, you know, what we can see out the window. Um but do they is 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 it the opening scene where they, they find or they see what they think is the the, the enterprise? Is it, but the, the the 
the um, debris that they find on the on the asteroid or on the on the rock, it just have OT on it, isn't it? Well, yeah. where's Enterprise in that? I can't. It, <laughs> you can see an an NX, I think, and then that's it. So, what if you know it was the Nuxinians, the alien race who just passed through this the system? You, you can't tell anything else no. from there. I, I, I thought I could see OT on the side of it. Well, that's, that's just not even mm. in the in the word discotery. Disco, disco, no, it's not even discovery. Is it? It, it, it's ent, ent, enterprise. No, no, it's just they go. Oh, it's it's enterprise. No, enterprise doesn't have a letter O in it. For goodness sake, come on. <laughs> It was a di completely different ship, just passing by, and they just scraped off the hole. That that's all it yeah. was. Uh, Matt, um, yeah, it's you know in in this sort of futuristic thing, they've got to establish is, is do they call it the closed loop um, or the closed ring that which you get in uh, modern uh, whodunit films or something. They basically the reason why no one can use their mobile phone. Um, and <laughs> yeah. I, I can remember when I first watched it going, but it doesn't look like a lot of debris for a for a starship. Um, you know, cause I, I guess it's the sort of thing like you don't, you know, it's sort of just on, you're settling down with your cup of tea, you don't really hear all the dialogue there, but um, it is reinforced later that the sensors are down and they're just looking around, and I suppose not all of the debris would have landed on the, on the surface of the asteroid. Um, but yeah, it's, um, it's, it's a neat little idea to keep them in the shuttle and like, avoid them finding out the actual truth, which is that everyone's fine, and if they just stayed where they mm. were, um, they might have been all right um without any any trouble at all i mean fortunate that you know that the only bit of debris that was from the enterprise was face up with the name on the front um it didn't you know, go the other way um did anyone happen to know what um trip was using to fix the or see what he was using to fix the sensors because it's something that i would never have even paid attention to before 2018 was it a self-sealing stamp? Close, close. <laughs> Just as useful, <laughs> particularly now in the real world. It's um, an infrared temperature taker. It's oh. it's something that I now see every day when I go to work, when they scan my forehead. <laughs> and I would never have even given it a second thought. But looking at it, it was like, that looks really familiar. And they've just taken one and spray painted it uh, grey to make it look like a tool. But I would never have noticed that. And that is something that I was hoping to find when I go through all of these episodes, mm. is things that i would never have paid attention to back in the day but now watching the episode of course it's a it's a infrared temperature scanner because my brain now thinks in pandemic mode and that's all yeah. i noticed so why he's using a medical device to fix a sensor that's probably why it's not getting repaired <laughs> you're right i'm looking yeah. at it now it's uh, it is exactly that and what he's doing exactly well spotted. yeah what exactly that's doing i'm not entirely sure but uh you know he's it, it's yep yeah, it's hot it's cold it's hot it's cold that's all he can do with that there we go um we skip the uh credit sequence because i've got both of your uh, opinions on the intro sequence uh, in other episodes so we'll skip that one um and we go straight into a little bit of a, a dig between the the brits and the americans if only dr crockran was born a european um uh something about the core curriculum in english that it has ulysses i never studied ulysses at school and i'm not entirely sure what curriculum uh, in the future is going to be but why ulysses that's dense that's very dense uh you guys 
That's exactly what I've got written down in my notes. Really, <laughs> not all English people know Shakespeare. You know, it's not even Shakespeare. Is it? You know, it's just like all the classics. You know, it's drilled into us when we're kids. You know, the Star Trek is littered with with you know mythology, Greek mythology, and uh, Shakespeare, and all this type of thing. And half of us aren't even been you know educated that way. So, yeah. I mean, I guess part of it is. Um, I guess there's two reasons why they do that. One of them being. Well, maybe three. I can think of three reasons why they do this sort of thing. One of them being um, it's before the Star Trek universe and our universe separate. Uh, two, it's public domain. Yes. For the most part. Um, <laughs> Ulysses might not be. Um, might not be quite yet. I'm, I'm not sure. Um, and and three, I don't know. I mean, I guess they just sort of go, okay, what would be the perfect English um, uh, school system, you know, once everything's all, all the inequality has been abolished. I mean, obviously, it would just be public school. Yeah. Uh, where everyone does the classics, you know. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, <laughs> if, it, if, it, if, it, if it, they use the books that we were taught when we, you know, because, you know, I, was, I wasn't clever enough to get into the... Um, the English literature classes, where we, where we are taught this sort of you know, Shakespeare's and things. I mean, it would have been um, Shane. <laughs> that, that was the book we read when we were in school. I mean, you know, that's the classics. I'll give the classics out. Start reading a bit of Shane. There's also the uh, Malcolm makes a, a dig about um, um, how Americans just watch, read superhero comics and awful science fiction, you know, mm-hmm. which is a, a theme I, I'm sure you've noticed as well throughout. Um, throughout Star Trek of them making digs about TV mm-hmm. and this time making digs about sci-fi. <laughs> yes. um, which, um, I, I, you know, I can't, I can't think of any profound reason why they do that. It must just be a joke. Um, well, yeah. but that's enough of a reason, I guess. <laughs> it, is a, it is a bit worrying that when, when uh, Reed says, you know, well, all Americans you know, read cowboys and Indians. <laughs> oh, really? Indians? Is that very progressive? You know, use the language of the early 2000s, why don't you, rather than the 2300s or whatever we're in now. So, yeah, yeah, the, the school curriculum did reset. It just reset to the 1950s, and uh, no one could find a more up-to-date version. Uh, they all updated <laughs> to Windows 11, and that's it. They couldn't find any more teachers' plans, and that was it. Yeah, uh, exactly. That's it. That's all that would happen. Um I do think it's really weird when a trip is listing the Europeans and he was saying, I've never heard of a European building a Warp 5, Warp 5 engine. Now, I'm hoping he's not talking at all because that means only Americans ever build Warp engines. Uh, they've never had a Brit. They've never had an Italian. They've never had a Serbo creation, uh, which is, uh, you know, of all the nationalities to pick out of Europe. Very crazy. But there we go. Um I really hope that you know they're letting uh, more people into the factories just to build these things, uh, and that he's only talking historically. <laughs> oh yes, there was a mention about uh, perhaps the Vulcans would have helped us out a bit more if they'd actually met the uh, the Brits, the English first. Uh, that because we were so reserved and we keep our emotions in check, they would have helped us out a bit sooner than when they met the Americans, uh, which was actually something we we said in Silent Enemy. Uh, all I can say is that Malcolm's never been to a Weatherspoons on Friday night. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh yes, I, there's, there's very many a time I've been into a Spoons and, uh, and uh, but got caught up in a duel. <laughs> <laughs> some some cad has smacked me across my face with a with a glove. I demand satisfaction. So I glassed him. How dare you, sir? <laughs> uh, the other note that I had for this entire bit was just so British. 
like they ramped it right up for reed just the way he was pronouncing it the way he was delivering these lines the way he was taunting trip um you just couldn't make it more british uh short of him having a pint in his hand uh, i couldn't think of anything else uh, yes reed does spot the wreckage and then they realize they need to start making their way uh somewhere anywhere they need to find a place to go we then go straight over to the enterprise it cuts away from the shuttle pod now this is more general comment of the whole episode do you think it would have been improved by not going back to the enterprise and sticking with just these two for the whole way through apart from the very end uh do you think that the claustrophobia maybe would have worked better if we didn't know as the audience that the enterprise was okay starting with matt that's a good question um I mean, the tension's still there because it, it's about will they notice in time? Will they get there in time? And they do sort of they carry on. They find out quite relatively early on into the episode that Enterprise is fine. And then it just becomes a problem of how do how do we get there mm. and stuff like that. Um, but I don't know. I don't, I personally, subjectively, don't like that sort of tension, mm. uh, particularly in a show where everyone knows. <laughs> Particularly because it's called Enterprise, um, <laughs> that they're obviously wrong. The question becomes now: How how do we find out if they're wrong? So, I, I I'm fine with them just um, revealing it to the audience fairly early on. You know, I'm, I'm quite I'm quite happy just to to be told quite early on. Okay, this is what this episode's about. They just had a complete misunderstanding, um, down to not being able to talk to each other, and then it carries on. So I, I'm I'm fine with the reduced tension. Because it's not real tension when um, when you're saying something that's obviously not going to happen. Like the, like the, I mean, I really like it actually. But the the chase in Next Generation where there's this whole thing about Captain Picard, you know, Captain Picard's been disintegrated, and then it goes to credits, and it's like, mm. like within like ten minutes, you know, you find <laughs> out that he's fine. Um, oh no, no, sorry, they did drag it on a bit with with that, and uh, it's a bit unnecessary. I think you know he's going to be fine. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That's that's my take. Yeah, absolutely. Sorry, um, uh, I agree with Matt again. It, it's you can't you can't say you you couldn't you know leave it to, up to the people to say has Enterprise been destroyed? Yeah, I mean, no, no, it, that's not going to work. We like you say, we know even if if it was just the two of them in there, we'd know that the Enterprise was fine. Um, what I do like is that they do show you that the Enterprise is okay, but it is saying, oh, you know, mm. Trip and, and, and Reed will be fine. We're just going to go over here and do some, you know, blah, 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 which means that they're not where they should be. So will they get mm-hmm. back in time to actually be at the rendezvous point? And if they do and they find out they're not there, will they then still have enough time or, you know, can they find them in time? And So that's, that's good. I, I like that bit rather than thinking that, you know, that, this is insulting of the intelligence a bit, really. If you, if you, if you, to, you know, to make do you think that the, uh, the ship's been destroyed? Mm. This is fine. Uh, it works. It works well enough. Um, it's it's a nice little uh, MacGuffin that you know that uh, you know. I like I like I like the the setup. It's mm. it's, it's okay. Yeah, I was umming and ahhing about it whether I would want it completely isolated uh, and just keep the two actors just playing off each other. We as the audience, yes, okay. It's the Enterprise series. We know the Enterprise is fine, um, but we still don't know where they are. What you know, why there was a bit of wreckage, that sort of thing. Keep the mystery for us at least a little bit more. Um, 
I, I think I would have appreciated having all that explained at the end. So rather than just the small scene we get at the very end where they meet up with the crew for real, as we're about to discuss uh, one scene uh, a little bit later, um, but uh, you know, have it all explained at the end, but keep a little bit more tension. I think I would have gone the opposite way. I would have kept it all shuttle pod for most of the episode. And then maybe the last two, three minutes, we get an explanation that there was this crew and there was an accident and so forth and so forth. Although, um, if they did that, then the dream sequence that Malcolm has wouldn't work. The joke, true, it, I true. mean, you could do it, but the that joke functions as you knowing that the Enterprise is fine. It would add another layer of complexity to that scene, and it uh, you'd be you'd be thinking two things at once instead of one thing at once. So we can't be having that. Very true. Um, <laughs> Very true indeed. Um, I do like that we learn about these uh, Tessians or Tesnians. And uh, there's 12 in the decon chamber and 22 who have to be put on some sort of boron gas system uh, uh, to keep them alive because they can't breathe in our atmosphere. Uh, yeah, it adds to that sort of believability about space travel. We haven't quite figured everything out as well. But the idea that um, Flox is rotating them almost like a rotisserie chicken system. Um, any thoughts on this? Um, I mean, it's a bit like we found these really cool aliens, but they go to a different high school. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, I mean, it's, it's clear they've got no budget, but it, I like that they embrace the fact that they don't actually have to depict what's being described. So they go for this absolutely wild um, uh, description of these aliens, something that would be so expensive <laughs> to actually actually do. Um, I, th I think it's a really nice touch. Yeah. Yeah, it increases the sci-fi without actually showing you. It's a, it's a tell-not show, um, which which is great because I think that it's one thing that Star Trek does lack is a bit more of an imagination when it comes to aliens. Everybody's got two arms, two legs, and a head, and look pretty much you know humanoid. Very rarely do they go wild and and bring out something really really. Um, drastic like uh, in the books in the titan series in the books where the doctor's a tree um you know that sort of thing <laughs> or, this, uh, or robot as i'm being a, bit, a little bit flippant there but it is basically a tree um and you know that sort of thing you know, that they don't have the budget for they don't have the you know the cgi for or, or even robots they, you know they don't even have little robots running around the place that they could use um so mm. to, to actually say that this you know is happening put it put it out there and it's canon so you know they could in another future um you know, episode of a different series. They could bring these these guys out, and maybe even in lower decks or something. You know, they couldn't do anything. Yeah. So and have a little bit more sci-fi like they have in there. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's 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 a nice little throwaway line, but it, it works really well. Do you think that maybe they should have just gone a bit more to town with it, knowing full well that we're not going to see these aliens and we never will in Enterprise? They could have said, well, you know, the wings are kind of getting in the way. They can't get through the bulkhead doors, so we've had to widen them in some places. Uh, you know, the the three heads and the, the, the large claws are a little bit of a, you know, inconvenience when we're trying to get them in and out. Uh, they're trying to rub all this uh, decon gel all over themselves and they keep scratching themselves, so it's just not working. Um, you know, they could have gone absolutely bonkers with it and maybe given us a bit more. They could, they could have had Flocks go up to the door and say, no, be quiet in there, and in the background here. <laughs> no, stay in your box. <laughs> that would have done, you know, just to make it believable. They do have some. Yeah. <laughs> he pops out with sort of rips on his shirt like Kirk and it just feeling very frisky today, sir. Yeah. <laughs> I mean I guess it's a it's a difficult balance they've got because they've got 
the sort of the, the pushing it but then if you go too far then it becomes a meta comment on on what's going on and I, I, you know i mean it so i think i don't i don't think they pull off that, that being a natural scene so you watch it and it's like okay i know what's going on here it doesn't come off quite that naturally <laughs> <laughs> If they went that far, it would just become Kitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. <laughs> yeah. And um, that, that wouldn't work. Oh, that would be even better if they, if they said, we didn't have any aliens. We've just, um, we've just beamed up these two guys. I, I don't know what they're on about. The one's wearing this strange flannel sort of bathrobe. That would be great. I mean, boom, straight in the way. You know, two, two series together, that would be great. One of, them, one of them says he'd like six pints of pizza. <laughs> We don't have enough. Chef says we're out of beer. It's just, it's all not going well. Yeah, get that. Get the chef in. What's his name? Mister Dentrust. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Archer goes out in the, the, after that scene and to expect the damage, and we now find out that it was uh, a door that was ripped off the Enterprise in this big accident, and the rest of the wreckage was actually from a different ship. It was from this alien ship, and there was some horrific disaster where they've lost everything. Um, so maybe we shouldn't laugh. I don't know. Um, but uh, Lieutenant Hess is the main engineer. She is in charge of engineering, and she's got to uh, make an entirely new door out of something. Uh, which seems to be yet another thing that they can just magically make on the Enterprise. Uh, we've made phase cannons, we've made parts for Zerillion ships, which we've never met before, and there's been no mention of mining, there's been no mention of them acquiring all of uh, the resources needed to make these things or to turn them into things. Um, that was two months of four episodes, very busy episodes, um, where they found the time to get the mining and get all the craft work. I mean, just basic minecraft here you know get all of your resources it takes a lot of time how do you build a brand new door out of nothing there we go so lieutenant hess she's got my full respect because she is being asked to do a lot here um also i want to meet lieutenant hess i mean where was she all these other times that we've been doing these episodes and it's been trip on his own fixing pretty much everything um any thoughts on the engineering problems and lieutenant hess well, I think um, Archer really needs to get a grip on um, who's in charge of what on a <laughs> ship. Uh, it's really not a question he should have had to ask. Um, mm. It would have been it would have been better the other way around. But then T'Pol would obviously know as well because she's on top of a brief, unlike Archer. But yeah, it's um, I don't know. I, it's it's kind of a nice touch because they're they're not really proper <laughs> Starfleet yet. They're everything they haven't got. I mean, obviously the uh, the read alert episode is important for that as they start. You, you sort of. Malcolm basically getting his way and more regulations and things like that. Who's in charge of engineering? He's just like, clearly just left it to trip to pick someone and not not bother to check. Um, yeah, magic. Yeah, it is difficult because you know they established they don't have replicators yet. Um, it's just up for imagination where they're getting the parts from the door. Uh, maybe it is Minecraft. They just start punching trees, and then um, and then you go from there. I, I think they just he just looked around and said. Uh... There's a, there's a door over there. Just take that one off there and put it in that hole there. We'll, we'll, that, that one doesn't go anywhere. That's just a spare door. Well, I mean, as we know from Discovery, every starship has a massive void of space in the middle <laughs> uh, for the, for the lift to go through. So they must have um, they must have just had some extra extra sheet metal stored um, in there. They got a whole room full of spare doors. That's all they have. <laughs> spare doors every time they get ripped off it's like i'll oh, get another one come on there we go they're completely useless every other time of the year but there we go 
um <laughs> micro singularities were next um the vulcan myth uh archer seems to give to pole a really hard time throughout this entire episode about micro singularities we've never had this conversation before and even going back through all of temporal trek i cannot think of micro singularities being brought up but you he was referring it to her like she goes on and on about this i mean are these are all the scenes in between maybe whilst they're fixing all these doors every single uh, week uh, she's having a conversation about micro singularities um you know the chef cooked a really disappointing meal last night micro singularities uh you know porthos <laughs> is uh is uh getting quite messy uh and uh leaving tools everywhere yep uh, micro singularities of course um it, he he was just coming out of nowhere he was giving her a hard time for no good reason um any thoughts on this <laughs> um i don't know it's it's uh, something to do while you're fixing the door i suppose uh, let's talk about micro singularities. Uh, <laughs> probably fixing the door with the remains of the ship that actually smashed up and went into it. They've got a bit of spare scrap metal lying around there they could use. Um, now th- th- you're right. This is the first time I've I've heard of this. It's obviously it's one of those things that pops up into uh, into real life, and the writers put it in as and when they find it, and not um, you know like twenty, thirty, forty, fifty years ago when they found it, but wasn't really interesting. Um, uh, it's it, yeah. I mean, it, it's in some respects it's good because you know why would why would we sit here going, oh, why haven't they mentioned these things before? I don't understand. Well, yeah, but they're not talking about it as though they've just discovered it. They're talking about it as though they've been around for a while. So, you know, maybe in between now and Enterprise, they find these things and they're everyday occurrence now. Then. Mm. <laughs> Welcome to Timey Wyminess. I mean, I guess Archer's enjoying that because usually the Vulcans have the upper hand on everything and and are this sort of pristine, rational race. And yet there's this just one thing where they act like um, they're, they're looking for Bigfoot. He <laughs> um, just, just seems to be in, enjoying having his, having his little dig at um, what he takes to be an irrational um, impulse. Of course, to find the joke's on him because it, they do exist. And the Vulcans were right and it wasn't Bigfoot. Um <laughs> Um, and yeah, that yeah. So it's it, it it's interesting. It's 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 good. It's good character work, um, but not very good management, I don't think. Um. No. <laughs> yeah, he, he is very harsh about it, and it, it's it's more of the workplace bullying that we've been noticing episode in episode out. Um, it, it, any chance to get a dig in against a poll, and now it's about these things called micro singularities. Yeah, I'd never, I'd never noticed that before until uh, listening to your, um, to your podcast. And I was just, yeah, you're right. Um, so that, that's that, that's one of the things I've got for you. So there's that, and then there's um, finding out that Malcolm's dad was on LOLO. Yeah. Watching in the meantime. <laughs> Which uh, there is a reference to in this episode. He's talking back as well. Uh, we might go into that a little bit more as well because. Uh, there is an episode that seems to get referenced throughout this episode, and that is Silent Enemy, as we've been mentioning. Uh, his family, uh, his food choices. Uh, there's so many things that reference back to Silent Enemy. It's almost Silent Enemy Part 2. Um, you could say that there is a very close connection between these two episodes. Um, and if you weren't watching the rest of the series, that maybe you can't appreciate this episode. Maybe that factors into my rating later. There we go. Yeah, I, th- I think you're right there, um... Uh, Dan, it's it's, um, it's as though the writers have been writing a story about uh, uh, Malcolm and then sort of stopped 
And then they've gone off and done all the other characters. And then they come back. Now, where were we with Malcolm? Oh, yeah, here. We, we were here. Right. Okay, let's carry on. And they, they've just carried on from where they left off. And they just, there you go. It's it's as though nothing's happened to Malcolm in between because basically nothing has. He's just stuck in the corner, pressing buttons, <laughs> not really doing much. That's the sort of unfortunate thing about Enterprise. It tends to do that to characters. Um, I, I, I agree with Paul on, on those things. It's sort <laughs> of, um, you know, you can, you can see they're starting to try to do... Um... I mean, they've, they've done it before in uh, Voyager, I would say, more so than the others of these long character arcs. Mm. Um, but um, yeah, it does. It, it does. It does seem something that they're doing a bit clunkier in in Enterprise, and it's it, they've clearly got like a showrunner type approach to it, where you know you've got okay, well, where are we at Malcolm? But it's sort of it's really abrupt. You know, okay, this is the last time Malcolm had something to say. It was something about pineapples. <laughs> um, let's carry on there. Um, but it's, I, I, I mean, I, um, I mean, going back to the question of when I first watched it, when I was first watching this, um, I didn't really like Malcolm, mm. partly because of the um, Americans' idea of a British accent accent. Um, <laughs> I don't know, I just didn't really like him. And this, um, the, uh, I mean, the three episodes that really endeared me to him were um, Silent Enemy, um, this one, and then the one with, I can't remember what it's called, the one in this, uh, season two where he, he does the read alert thing. Um, mm. You know, that, and that that really kind of um, broadens broadens him out. I think. I think he was the. Uh, yeah, he deserved this sort of level of character development, definitely. Mm. Um, yeah, with uh, Reed, whenever he's talking, yes, there is that put upon British accent. I think it's made more disappointing in that I was aware of the actor before he was in Star Trek from Desmond's, knowing full well he can do a proper South London kind of. Uh, a British accent, why he wasn't a bit more South London in his approach uh, would make it so much more believable that he wants to blow everything up because, you know, um, you're only supposed to blow the bloody doors off and then get a replacement from down there from Lieutenant S. You know, it would have made so much more sense. But there we go. It, it just would have ended. Every episode would have ended. <laughs> <laughs> Star Trek EastEnders. It's, it's something the Americans do quite a lot, isn't it? They make They make the English actors do the ridiculous accent. Which mm. seems to have gone away a little bit after Game of Thrones, mm. I've noticed, uh, with with all the use of the northern accents. It's kind of, like, carved that down. Mm. Say from, from Leicester. From Leicester. Ah. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> that would have been a more interesting accent, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> all right, Mr. Archer, what are you doing? <laughs> a, bit, a bit like the original Darth Vader, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. uh, <laughs> uh, moving on to the next scene, we've got... The pod, back to the pod again. So we've left the Enterprise, we've gone back to the pod. Now we get a lot more scenes back to back just in the pod. So it, it keeps it just to these guys. Um, we find out that there's no radio, there's no sensors. What are they going to do? Well, they're going to chart a course towards Echo 3. Um, a nice little callback again to previous episodes where we've been dropping these subspace arrays, not hidden anywhere, but just live out into space, just left out there for someone to find. Um, and uh, he's a Navy man. He should be able to find his way along. And I do like that Trip called out, you know, uh, point to a star, find your way, go on in, do, you, do your job. Uh, and uh, do you have a sextant on board? Uh, any thoughts on Trip and his uh, flippant use of uh, a Navy man's experience? Typical American. Yeah. <laughs> what can you say? I mean, it, it establishes really well that this is going to be an odd couple episode. And, mm. um, that the, you know, this is going to be about 
the comedic tension between these two very different people. I guess it starts off with that with the English American thing. So mm. I guess they just listed what are the differences between these these two people? Okay, English and American. Okay, now we'll do um gung ho and navy. <laughs> and then you know, working way through. But no, I I I love it because um Malcolm's got that, that real edgelord streak that um he sort of always comes back to the the glory filled death, the final stand, he always sort of falls back onto these tropes, um uh which, you know, gets picked up again in, in future episodes as well. And it's just you know, bless him. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like just get a grip, mate. <laughs> You know, and it's yeah. I, I find it interesting again because, like, I mean, like my big thing about rewatching um, Enterprise this time through, which I'm sort of doing, um, been doing in preparation for these recordings and listening in to your uh, podcast as well, is that you know it's the way in which they're not quite Starfleet yet, and that like, you would never, if you think of TNG era, era this this basically this would be a, like the uh, the episode where Picard and Wesley are just in the in the shuttle for a while. Everything mm. would be fine. There'd be no tension. Everyone would be completely professional, and it'd be a really boring, <laughs> boring thing. And like the the worst thing that could happen would be if someone wants to listen to Klingon opera, and, and that's it. You know, you just don't really get those sorts of tensions where they're still, you know, they, they, you know, they're still talking about um, national characters. They're still um, having odd, like death thoughts as well, instead of just you know, okay, survival training kicks in. What do we do? You know, they're bickering even of what food they're going to have. Mm. And obviously, Michael, Malcolm gives Trip that really dirty look when he goes for the meatloaf. I, th- I think what, one thing they, they suffered with it is uh, in the next generation, and obviously that being filmed a long time before uh, Enterprise, is that the, the main character, the main captain, was supposedly French. And they kept forgetting about that. And then every every now and again, they go, oh, oh, he's French. Quick, throw in a French word or you know, do something French or you know, remind people <laughs> that he's French. Apart from his name, obviously, but you know, remind him he's French. So this time around, they've said, look, we can't forget that Reed is an Englishman. At every opportunity, <laughs> remind everybody that he's English. Have him drinking tea, uh, you know, talking proper and being reserved and you know, being a Navy man and... You know, and, and then and then they throw in a line like uh, when he when he's writing to his parents and, he, or, and you know, he's doing his last bit he says uh, I can't believe you didn't know that I was on the Enterprise as I wrote you twice <laughs> wrote wrote you twice wrote you twice that's American <laughs> we don't say that in, in England we say as I wrote to you twice not wrote you you don't wrote you don't write people that's an American so they, they've now they've got an Englishman speaking an American line for the sake. Yeah, it's just they adding to the there. annoyance. That's it. Yeah. It, it. In fact, in that scene at the very beginning, when they're trying to debate where they're going to go, and the blue giant is sort of the next best thing, uh, he says, "You do the math." And it's like, "Use <laughs> <laughs> maths. Use that plural." Um, There's more than one math, you know. There's more than one sum. You don't just just put one on, just put one and one together. You'll find out there's more than one math. Um, I do like that when he's recording the first logs and he's trying to, you know, make sure there's a a, a log and a reminder of, of what the Enterprise stood for and everything. As he's getting rid of Trip's little digs in uh, every now and then, he has got possibly the button I want for podcast editing. You mm-hmm. tap it once and it goes back to the precise moment <laughs> that you want to then continue your recording with no uh, any kind of indication of where it's going to, what point it's rewinding to. It just seems to know. And can we get that for podcasting, please? You mean you haven't got one? No, 
No. So if I if I tell you what I really think of that shirt. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. There's go for no it. way you can't just instantly rewind it and take. No, it no, I can't. Oh. Oh. Ah, well, so well, you I, say well, that. I think it's. Right. I, I think your shirt is a load of. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh... oh, these drops are oh, shut the job. <laughs> So uh, you were going to say something about my shirt? Uh, oh, okay, fair enough. I mean, it's something they stop caring about at some point um, during DS9, I think, isn't it? About like what do the buttons do? You know, <laughs> all you need is a button. Um, the uh, the Red Letter Media reviews of the, the Star Trek films, um, which I don't agree mm. with their conclusions, but they do point about uh, in Insurrection where Picard brings manages to bring up um, a sing along. Um, <laughs> uh, sing along with um, HMS Pinafore uh, with two button presses. <laughs> it's like, it's, yeah, it doesn't matter. We're just pressing the buttons. It's fine. But at the same time, it is it's well shot because you've got there's a logic to it. So he's pressing it and it's got so, so you could actually conceive a, bu- a button that worked like that that was sort of set to rewind and then start recording again. Um, although yeah, I did. You know, this is, I haven't seen this since. Be- <clears throat> <coughs> Sorry about that. Still got my call. Yep. Say that again. There we go. We'll rewind. <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen this episode since starting a podcast, so I was look. I was also looking at that with MV. That'll be. Mm. And he's using it well. As well. He's good. Yeah. Um, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it just it, it just lacked two fingers to press the play and record at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got to press two buttons, otherwise it doesn't count. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> One's just play. Record doesn't work on its own. You have to do record and play. Two <laughs> fingers. Yeah, I've, yeah, I think so. Uh, you know, cassette basics uh, 101 is sort of clearly needs to be in Starfleet protocol there, uh, just to use those buttons. Um, it's a ni- it's a nice alternative to computer delete delete last sentence, which is what it became. Very true. Um, it is a nice it's a nice alternative to that. It is also the advantage of this podcast in that my device allows us to see things that haven't been recorded. So that's always a, a nice little reference back as well. Uh, so the little device I'm using for that allows us to watch these episodes uh, can uh, can show us everything that wasn't officially on the record. They, uh, they have a bit of a debate about how they're going to get found. They are uh, going at a snail's pace. They're using an impulse drive. And of course, Enterprise is warping around and any other species as well. It was nice of Trip to mention all the different species as the that they've mentioned throughout this season so that was a good callback to all of season one of enterprise up to this point um they they have to have this debate but trip does seem to be pulling out quite good examples of why they have to have good hope um the fact that malcolm has gone straight to let's record it let's get the the posthumous record sorted we're gonna die it's only nine days it's over with just what was it Within a month's so, uh, month's time since Dear Doctor, uh, they found a shuttle just floating around with some very sick people on it who couldn't do or possibly press any buttons themselves. Um, they found them just drifting, and they weren't even travelling at impulse. They were just drifting along in space. Uh, so Trip's got a pretty good argument based on just the last six months of history. Uh, any other thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, my, my first thought was what, when this obviously happened is, is you, and you've only got a, a number of days to survive. Um, you take as much as you know, time as you can to make yourself as visible as you can and last as long as you can. 
and maybe extend it by a few days in the hope that somebody will come along and find you, even in space, even though like space is you know massive. Mm. It's big, it's unfeasibly big. It's you know, mm. you won't believe how big it is. <laughs> so mind bogglingly big. Mind bogglingly big indeed. So yeah, it's um it, yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that was my first thought. Just that's what you do. You you try and survive as long as you can, extend the, the period of time that you're there, and somebody will eventually come along and pick you up. That's that's you know the, the pure hope of it. I mean, mm. otherwise, light up the bourbon earlier on and say your goodbyes. <laughs> yeah, and Mal- Malcolm's pessimism is infectious. It does it does get tripped down. I think that's part of why he gets so angry with it. And you know, you say Trip is actually making a really good argument. It's also an understanding of how the Star Trek universe works anyway, that you know, people do bump into each other quite often despite the the mind-bogglingly bigness of space. Um, but he doesn't really come back on Malcolm when he's saying these things. Um, mm. He doesn't really come back. You know, you can feel like he's just like, just imagine him just sat there, I mean, poor Trip just sat there trying to sleep and, you know, your subordinate is just like recording all these really depressing messages while you're having your own internal battle about trying to keep your spirits up and keep the hope alive. Um you know, I mean, I guess maybe part of um, what becomes Starfleet survival protocols will be just just to keep the keep the hope up, keep doing mm. things, just to stop that, because um, that will make it your chances even less uh, good of being able to survive if you if all of you just going around moping and recording uh, the same message to all of your ex girlfriends. <laughs> <laughs> that was yeah, that whole scene just when he's uh, subtly adjusting it and talking about smiles and then talking about eyes. Um, what a cad, what a cad. But that feels completely different to everything else we've learned about Reed. Um, there were so many times when all of the messages he's recording seemed to be, if not a course correction for the character, it was at least an attempt to try and change it or explain that his view of the events are completely different to everybody else's, which seemed to came into the next bit where they were talking about what to eat. And um, Trip wants meatloaf, and he has mashed potatoes. Now, uh, Reed goes for fish. As we learn in Silent Enemy, he can't stand fish. So why is he going for the first thing first? My only thought is that because he's so British, he's saving the best for last. Uh, You always start with the thing you don't like on the plate, and you work your way round to your favourite bit by the end. So he's going for the one ration that he doesn't like first. Any thoughts on his character and maybe they were trying to change it or course correct it? So I have a few things to say there. So, I mean, first of all, that's a really good theory about that's what (laughs) I do. I I eat in reverse order of niceness. Mm. Uh, But he does say he says it's delicious. And the only reason we found out that um, he doesn't like fish was his mate. Mm -hmm. He said, oh, I think he hated I think he hates fish. But he doesn't actually know that. So I, I, I don't think that is a course correction. And also in that in that conversation, because they, you know we've never seen him as this cad, this sort of um, you know girl at every port sort of character. But what we do get in that conversation is, oh, it wasn't. He was there for the girl. It was not for the fish. There's this glimpse of Malcolm as um, a bit of a ladies' man, and um, this is sort of bringing it out. So I don't, I don't think there is a cross production. I think there's actually some subtle, um, uh, unreliable narrator work going on there. Um, that. Um, um, but you know, I, I realise that's not how wikis are built, and I understand why there's a there's an entire paragraph about the fish um, on memory alpha. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm trying to work out what they were trying to do with him because they were trying to make him sound like a typical navy man, as Matt said, a girl at every port. 
or what type of girl um, <laughs> that we're talking about here. Um, not the sort you bring home to show your mother. Um, he's a very reserved British person. Now, we've already established that. Yeah, he, he, he's not very good in social circumstances. How the hell would he pick up any girl? <laughs> I, I mean, I suppose you know, if you're in the Navy, you've got the, the uniform and that sort of attracts girls. So maybe there's a bit of that. But I, I don't know. I can't see him as a ladies' man. It just doesn't seem to work. He's more of a person that would get a really nice uh, lady um marry her and have kids and settle down and he would you know he wouldn't get the sort of maybe the girlfriend that trip would get mm. you know, so it, you know that sort of is my first first thought about that particular scene um you know i mean how many women did he know in inverted <laughs> commas um if he's the most socially awkward i i, I don't get i don't get that it didn't it didn't seem to work for me um, as for the fish, I didn't pick up on the fish that uh, he didn't like fish. I just thought, well, that's not stereotypically British, is it? Somebody who likes fish. What, what the, where's the roast beef and Yorkshire pudding or um, fish and chips? Or maybe fish and chips. Maybe that's what they were thinking of and they just didn't have that's any chips. Because I mean, they would have had to do fries and then that joke wouldn't work. And it was, you know, you know fish and fries. It's, <laughs> it's No, no, we can't write that. Just give them fish. Forget the fries. And, and, and it was sea bass as well. I mean, it was really nice, or, or some sort of bass anyway. It was really nice, that, but not in batter. So, look. <laughs> well, maybe from the American gaze, it's um, it's British because um, it's not meat. Uh, um, very true. Yeah. Yeah. So it's because it because it's fish instead of like steak or meatloaf. So it's the, it's the meatloaf versus fish. <laughs> it's, it's not only fish; it's bass. You know, it's 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 nowhere near as uh, macho. Um, yeah, I would have thought they they would have gone for sort of like meatloaf with you know, gravy and sauce and all this type of thing, and then a piece of fish, <laughs> bland British fish. You know, just that's no sauce, nothing else, just, because that's what the British eat: bland yeah. food. You know. Yeah. Oh, boiled. Oh, my favourite. Ah, yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> I, do, I do think you're right, though, Paul. There's a kind of a battle between Malcolm and his backstory. Um, we're not quite matching, um, which is one of the problems when you develop a backstory too strongly. You know, it's usually quite good to leave it vague and allow the character to develop on screen. Um, but, you know, is you know the way I would try and make sense of it in headcanon would be it's not so much that he's social reserved, but he's got a really strong on-duty, off-duty thing. And mm. when he's on Enterprise, he's on duty all the time. Um, too much on duty. Whereas, you know, when he starts to get a bit drunk later on, he gets a bit freer <laughs> with his words. Um, and, you know, may, may, you know may, maybe that's the thing. It's sort of like when he, he's not got away, like, shore leave or anything like that. You know, maybe he's different. Like that, but then you know that, that that does make him a very. Um, I don't think I know anyone who was that different in their professional relationships and their personal relationships. So there are two very big extremes. Um, so they'd have to explain how he's capable of doing that. I mean, I'm going to use the word tropes here, and I'm not using it in a critical sense. You know, tropes are what build story. Um, but you've got a conflict between the tropes of a sailor and the tropes of uh, Britain. <laughs> uh, and you know sort of 
they're like as, as Paul was saying before, they're landing very heavily on the on the, the English side of um, of Malcolm all the time, and it's oh, but also he's a sailor, he's from a sailor <laughs> family. But then they're all sailors, you know. So it's it, it, you know it's interesting. Yeah, that's right. I think it it is very much uh, yeah. Roddenberry built the um, the system as the, the old British uh, Navy, so the, the commanders and the lieutenants, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's the uh, the issue here is they've they've said oh but great we've got an Englishman I mean they're they're, they're the sailors they're the you know they're the guys who we can we've built all this whole ship around this sort of system uh, but of course British sailors are different you know they they, they have they, they've got to make them British now and, uh, rather than American British sailors which is a different thing so it's um, you know as they, as they are because they're, you know, they're trying to write Americans as you know, in a British sort of confine. Um, so they've obviously thought, great, we got this Brit, we can really go to town on the British stuff now, but it's <laughs> not quite gelling with the with the actual um, uh, navy uh, um, you know, feel of things. So, yeah, yeah, good, good, uh, good point. We then move on to the scene of the dream sequence. Uh, well, we don't know it's a dream sequence at first, um, and we we suspect they've just been rescued. And now the episode's going to take us some other weird direction. Uh, we're going to find maybe these Tessians and, and realize we're out of boron gas. Now we have to find boron gas from somewhere. I don't know, uh, but they're in sick bay, and uh, Malcolm is of course the hero, the man of the hour. He has saved their lives. Their heroics are truly great, um, and not only that, that um, the word Malcolm is the Vulcan word for serenity. And that is clearly a turn on for T'Pol. Uh, well, actually not so much of a turn on as calling someone stinky, stinky. You liked it when I said stinky. Um, any thoughts on this scene? I mean, been... it's like that. Sorry, Paul, do you want to go first? I was just saying, I've been trying to get that scene out of my head for the last <laughs> few days. And thank you for bringing it back up again. What, you don't like it when I say stinky? stinky. <laughs> <God>. <laughs> it is. It's fascinating because it's the, the, the quality of it takes them. It starts off really strongly, <laughs> I think. And it just takes this nosedive um, because it's done so well, like, I mean, there's the way. I mean, this is a trope that's used a lot in Star Trek of the, um, it's just a dream or it's just an illusion or something like that. Um, it's, you know, it's very popular storytelling mechanism, but the way they do it, they don't in any way hint to the viewer that this isn't, um, this isn't real. You have to sort of rationally go, okay, it's probably not because of the time in the show that we're at. We're halfway through. You know, your, your storytelling sense is saying, um, this is the wrong act for them to get rescued. Ultimately, that's kind of what breaks it. But um, the cut from the previous scene to the next one makes total sense, um, and it's sort of established. You know, it's um, you know, you know, they really, really try and make you buy into it, and it's only through to Paul's um, acting out of character that you start, you realize actually this is a dream. You know, so it takes that, and then they they lovely <laughs> dovetail that to the end scene as well, where she acts normally. Um, but yeah, it's it's when when they actually get into the flirt flirting, if you can call it that, it's <laughs> God. it's so um so cringe as the kids say. Cringeworthy yeah. is exactly yeah, what I've got so written cringe. down here. Yeah, it's like, it's like worse than Peep Show, um, and it's you know why? Are... I, I mean, it, it tracks onto um, what you've been talking about, Dan, and um, 
in the other episodes about this sort of sexy trek um, thing where mm. but, you know, it's a very adolescent idea of how to do it as well. I mean, I just don't know what the scriptwriters are, are doing um, mm. in these moments from the um, um, <laughs> the, 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 the Topolin Archer uh, Houdini thing to this, you know, what what is going on? I'm glad that it fades out in later mm. seasons, but you know, um, yeah, weird. Very That's weird. Funny. Yeah. Weird. Yeah, it, it's just a de- deliberate attempt to try and titillate and make this weird, stinky thing a thing. I, I don't get why they made that I, word. I watched it twice, right? And I don't understand why he starts talking about stinky. I don't know where that comes from. I watched it twice. It's just... Yeah, it's... it's um, it feels like there's a missing line, or it's like when someone turns over, you turn two pages at once in, in a book, it's sort of like, it just escalates so quickly. Like, <laughs> why stinky? Is it a well, joke about how, like, to put, like, Vulcans think we smell or something like mm. that? I don't know. That's, well, it is, because they have nose filters in to, to take the smell away, isn't it? Yeah, that's, mm. that's, that was my take on it anyway, but but no, it's just it's just so, so embarrassingly bad. I mean, what about if I call you stinky, stinky? And then he keeps going stinky, stinky, stinky. I'm going to keep saying this until you smile. Oh, there you go. I've got you. Oh, and, and here we go back to the what we've been saying over many shows about Star Trek writers being adolescents. They just don't get it. You know, they can't write... Um, they, just, they just can't write love scenes or anything to do with you know, emotions. They just can't do it. Mm. It, it's horrible to watch. Um, it works because it really sets you up for the, as Matt said, for the last scene, uh, which really does, you know, it is perfectly acted in that sense. Um, Malcolm knows that he's he's not dreaming, so he just tries to make sure that he isn't dreaming by just saying, uh, you know, stinky or whatever. He says, what? No, no, oh, right. And then he <laughs> smiles. No, I'm not in a dream. Thank goodness for that. You know, <laughs> We're all thinking the same thing. We can't go through that again. It's, it's probably one of the worst scenes in Star Trek, you know, outside of anything in um, Star Trek V. So it's, yeah, it's not good. It's it's just not, not good. <laughs> oh, shots fired. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Dan, you did a you did a tweet about about that this week. I did, I did. Uh, I do love Star Trek Five. I unashamedly was, love that movie. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think it's great. Um, I, I, don't, I know it's a tangent, but it's, the one time I tried to do something on Star Trek subreddit was mm. I just did a thing. Why does everyone hate Star Trek Five? I just got inundated <laughs> with, with <laughs> anger and. Maybe we should turn Fine. to this scene. Maybe we should turn to the stinky scene and say, "Look, it could have been so much worse." <laughs> yes. There are much worse moments. Uh, yeah. Um, Stop. You're ruining it now. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, now you've 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 indelibly locked that stage with Star Trek Five, and now I'm like, yeah, no, it is terrible film. Yeah. <laughs> no. Right. I, I've got to spend the rest of Temporal Trek trying to break that connection now. Um, yeah. You know, there's always that thing with dream sequences where it could go a bit weird. I thought maybe they would go a bit weird. Maybe it wasn't stinky. Maybe he would just say something weird like Seabass. You know, it would link into something that's already happened at this point. <laughs> uh, you know, Seabass and uh, Giant Stars, Sextant sextant you like it when i say sextant you know something something that made sense because his consciousness is putting things together and it's a dream sequence but why why that word at least he didn't say shall i set my uh, deflectors to full power <laughs> or, you know, set my phaser to stun <laughs> have either of you actually checked to see if malcolm is the vulcan firm 
for some reason. <laughs> no, I haven't. I was thinking I should really check, but uh, I'm going to leave that. I um, assumed. I assumed I'm happy that was not him. to know that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I assume it was him as well. Mm. Oh, look at this scenery. The perfect Malcolm of it all. <laughs> what? No, it doesn't work. <laughs> Oh, uh, uh, dear. It's just such a bad scene. Uh, uh, right, I think we should move on. I think we should move on from this scene. Uh, the the ship gets punctured. Let's move on to micro-singularities. Ah, oh, micro-singularities, much better. Um, it attacks the shuttle, and it goes flying straight through, causing two little holes. There's a great little scene where they have to vent some nitrogen, try and figure out where it's going, and, of course, mashed potato to the rescue. Uh, uh, only a Brit could figure out that mashed potato is the perfect sealant for uh, a shuttle in the middle of deep space. Um, that also then goes on to a little tiny scene where they talk about... Um, They've now gone from nine days to two days of oxygen because of this little attack. Uh, and maybe they should keep their hope because Trip is hoping to have Trip the Tucker the fourth someday. And uh, Malcolm should maybe start planning his wedding. Uh, eek and eek, because if you're thinking foreshadowing, uh, Malcolm never gets married as far as any future time that we ever see. And, well, we know what happens to Trip, so I'm not going to say any more because it might upset Or do we? <laughs> yes. Yeah, uh, well, depends. yeah, on on the screen, we know what happened. Yeah. yeah, that's true. That contested, yeah. Um, well, we'll put up the it happened in the books. <laughs> ah, the books. but do we? Because it, that's a whole that's a holographic uh, recreation, isn't it? Very true. Very lot, true. So, yeah, that's true. Know. True. Um, maybe, maybe it was all a dream. Who knows? But I mean, I've just 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 as you were sort of recapping that scene, it's mm. it's quite subtle what they're doing with the micro singularity thing because they they're kind of relying on your knowledge of physics to it why it is that that managed to get through rather than a meteorite because it's got greater mass in a smaller space mm. um they don't you you don't get the trekno babble with it mm. and i think there's a lot of some really nice I, th I think basically when they're inside the ship so inside the shuttle pod this this is some of the best dialogue in the entire um series mm. um it's just when they're out of the shuttle pod that things <laughs> go a bit awry um but yeah no you've got and it's sort of like they sh they say they've got the better sealant and the mashpedest is like a stop gap. And then the next scene is you see them actually applying it, mm. you know, which is like a level of continuity you don't usually get in Star Trek of like them actually following up with that. Um, of course, then there's Ruby, which mm -hmm. is... Uh... <laughs> yes. Which is a lovely callback uh, to our uh, beginning of season three for this podcast. We met Ruby already in First Flight. And to us, that makes sense that they're talking about her. But it was a nice bit of continuity to keep that going. Uh, but also finding out the kind of icky story that maybe Trip and uh, Reed have shared interests, shall we say. I, I do like it. Is it uh, yeah, did you know? Did you know Ruby? Yes, <laughs> I knew her more times than I can remember. Oh, for God's sake! <laughs> Very <laughs> biblical language, isn't it? <laughs> yes. um, I knew. I, her. I think. I mean, one thing that I think is. Um, very underrated about Trek is the quality of the actors. And mm. I, I just think that that interaction, particularly for Trip, um, I can't remember the name of the actor, but uh, Trip's actor, that where he just goes, "Ouch." Uh, his reaction there is is absolutely perfectly performed um, with the right level of like botheredness about it because this isn't someone that they're talking about who they've got like great designs on it he's just sort of like doing blokey stories but then it's sort of like oh oh mm. you know rewriting his history a little bit 
it is a good scene and like you say it is well acted i i, I actually do like um this this part and what comes next you know that when they, they start to get drunk and i think mm. that both actors do it really well i thought they were they showed the quality of their acting uh, abilities right the way through uh, the whole of the show really the whole of this episode uh, but certainly you know, you know the chemistry was there they were bouncing off each other they were reacting to each other quite well and it was uh, it was a good uh, I, I, that, it's probably one of the reasons why I liked it so much because it could quite easily have just been uh, very badly written. You know, oh, you know her as well. Oh, I knew her. Oh, yeah, okay. And it's just it doesn't it doesn't work. It's very sterile. But no, they actually put a bit of meaning into it, a bit of umph to it. It, it did uh, work very well. Mm. Yeah, uh, the there's the believable sort of transition as we're going through because we've gone from nine days now to two days the pessimism is starting to come to trip but now uh he's almost moving his hope over to reed because reed is now sort of taking part in all of these things he has this emotional moment where he says you know i thought i was getting a life on enterprise but now you think i'm you know the angel of death and that's what you really think of me and it's it's a believable progression as we're going through they're getting colder and colder and that brings them together because they are they now have this kentucky bourbon which by the way i still want to know who that was for we never actually find out who Archer was going to be giving that to. So if there's a little expansion or anything, I want a little short trek where it's Archer finally giving the Kentucky bourbon empty to this guy. It's like, really sorry, but there's a whole story behind this, trust me. Um, but uh, yeah, there's the whole thing there. They do eventually get drunk and we are discussing bums uh, with Topol as well. It's blokey conversation. Uh, any more comments on that? <laughs> Good use of the word bum instead of uh, ass, uh, which is good. Yeah, they true. Go for the American word. Um, Someone <laughs> in the writing room had a thesaurus that day. <laughs> <laughs> British, British to American dictionary. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, it's gone. It's just slipped out my mind as to what I was going to say then. But you, you, what you were just mentioning there about oh, um, about the nine day, nine days coming down to two days. Mm. If that had been, uh, as we were saying before, about we only know what's going on inside the shuttle and not what's going on outside the shuttle, mm. it doesn't work. But because we know mm. that um, you know that the Enterprise is fine and they're looking for them, but mm. they don't know they're now down to two days, and there's the jeopardy. You know, they they're not aware of just how bad the situation, or even that the situation is bad for a start, but they don't know how bad it is. So, yeah, it, that's a nice little bit of oh, up the stakes a bit. Mm. Yeah, uh, we then see that there is a signal that the Enterprise decided to change its plans because they realize there is these singularities out there that they could be in danger. Um, they have the signal, but they can't do anything about it because they can't radio back. So now they need to make a big enough distraction, a big enough flare. And they go through all these options. Do they fire the cannons that we only found out the shuttle pods seemed to have a couple of episodes ago? Uh, do we jettison the engine? And of course, Trip doesn't want to do that. He's an engineer. I don't want to blow up our own engine. Um, uh, do you think that that plan makes sense? At least Reed got to blow something up again for another episode. Makes perfect sense to me. Why do you need an engine? Yeah, I don't. I don't get why why the why the you know uh, an engine needs to keep going. In order to move the shuttle forward, inertia would keep it going. Stay where you want to go, fire your engine, switch it off, and you're on your way. So jettison the engine. I, yeah, it's probably a generator as well, and generates power for the actual ship as well. And I'm sure that'd be part of it. But yeah, get rid of your engine if you don't. You're not going to need it. 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, impulse engines are iffy in terms of how much sense they make. I mean, warp, <laughs> warp is pretty well tied down, but impulse is a yeah. bit magic. Um, it's sort of it's faster than light if you need it to be. Um, <laughs> forget about relativity; it's fine. So uh, may, maybe maybe impulse engines don't work like that. You know, I don't know. It's weird, but I don't know, what I like about this is that um, Trip and Malcolm have kind of flipped positions, or at least Malcolm is now he's drunk, he's giddy, he's happy. And he's like, oh, brilliant, we're going to get saved. And, and Mal um, Trip's just like, shut up. I'm trying to listen. I'm trying to sweat out. Um, and it, then he becomes the pessimistic one. And then, But Malcolm, because he's got this optimism and the feeling of hope, um, he is able to um, to come up with a plan that works from the faith in his heart. Oh. And um, he, it works. Um, they blow up the thing and um, carries on. Though obviously still tension, we don't know it's going to work or not. Very true. And I think I think what is very good is you don't get a cut back to the Enterprise after they've done that. Mm. So that's the point in which they completely cut you off from the Enterprise and they say, right, now we don't know if that blip onto Paul's uh, screen is going to do something weird, mm. um, and is she going to notice it? You know that I think that's a really, um, as, as Paul's saying, a really great way to rebuild um, that tension. Which have been relaxed by knowing that you know they're, they're around. Yeah, I think that they mentioned at some point that if they fire the phasers, then that might be spotted by Enterprise. That that use of energy would would show up as a blip on their on their screen. Mm. And my first thought was, oh, are they going to use the phasers like in Morse code mm -hmm. and just fire them in short bursts and say, you know, and then some you know, maybe Hoshi looks at it and goes, oh, they're using the old Morse code and hooray, we found them, you know, and they can communicate. You know, we we can't you know we can't hear you but you can hear us type of thing um but it didn't go that way they went to let's blow up the uh, the engines but even even when they explode the engines it wobbles the ship slightly as well so they could have actually have used that as a boost to try and you know move them further you know a little bit quicker down the line if that you know if that had been a, an idea yeah, and, you know, one of the great rules of enterprise explosions make ship go faster that's mm. true. That's true. As that's we've learned in uh, in Sleeping Dogs, uh, they use the Indeed. exact same thing to save the Klingon ship, the, the explosive power of photon torpedoes, eh? Um, yeah. It just works. It's the best way of going around the galaxy. Although perhaps after Hoshi's experiences in her um, imagined state in the transporter buffer, she might want to, not want to use Morse code. Very true. Well. That's true, actually. Yeah, that does make sense. Maybe Argolian ceremonial rhythms would be better, but there we go. Um <laughs> I love that reference. Uh, nobody ever gets it. I, I was going to say. I just going to say one more thing. That the, the in the in these scenes that we're, we're just talking about now, two things get mentioned. And one is that you know shouting at each other. You end up shouting and shouting and shouting, and then eventually Reed, uh, Reed says, uh, "Well, shouting at each other is using more oxygen. Maybe we should be <laughs> using all the oxygen." Well, I'm glad they said that because I've been thinking that for the last five minutes. Thinking, "Will you just shut up? Go to sleep. Have a rest." Put your head down. When, when Reed says, I'm not going to go to sleep because hmm. you know, I, I need all the hours I can get to sort things out or whatever. No, no, go to sleep. Conserve the oxygen and you'll get more days added on to the, the days that you have. Um, and then Trip goes and lights the bourbon and goes, I'm thinking, well, there goes all your oxygen right there. But then they say, <laughs> well, it's only a couple of minutes gone there. So they do address it. They don't yes. just do it and then ever have everybody shouting at the screens. They do actually say, oh, well, okay, we are doing it. We know that this is going to do this, hmm. um, and with the drunk scene, I think they both played drunk really well. I thought they they, they were believable drunks. You know, some people don't just can't get it right, and it doesn't sound convincing. Others are amazing at it. These guys are great, um, 
I, but I was thinking uh, halfway through, I thought, well, I bet your trips had half of that bottle. And Malcolm's <laughs> had a, a couple of shots, and they're both at the same level of inebriation. <laughs> very true. Very true. Uh, yeah, there was, there was lots of references to things that, you know, even basic understanding of survival training. You know, go to sleep. You can serve your oxygen. You'll use it less. Uh, don't burn a candle. That would be great. The other medical thing was um, the shaving. Uh, when uh, he wants to leave a perfect corpse and he only shaves one half of his face after uh, Tripp has pointed out an inaccurate piece of information that your hair and nails don't keep growing. It's the fact that your skin shrinks that makes it look like it keeps growing. It doesn't actually keep growing. Um, also, um, also, alcohol doesn't warm you up. Very true. Exactly. Yeah, it, it cools you down. It, it, it does if you burn it. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so, uh, yeah, alcohol doesn't make you warm. Things don't carry on growing after you're, you're dead. Uh, so there's no point in shaving. Although it is a nice bit of continuity in that the last scene when they are rescued, uh, Reed only has one half of his face shaved and the rest is actually still grown out. Uh, it's actually like completely different completely different levels. I was looking for it on purpose because it's a podcast. Um, and I, I've never noticed that before, but one is slightly more shaved than the other uh, and it's slightly more raised. Uh, it's only in one shot, the very final shot, where he's looking up and he's pleased because uh, DePaul has no idea what heroics uh, he need, she needs to talk about. And he's just sitting there and one side of his face is just a little bit more grisly than the other. Um, and they're rescued. Just, just, I'm just looking at that now. That's it. That, that's, <laughs> that's the end of the episode. Is there anything else you want to mention before we go to our ratings criteria? Matt? No. Um, yeah, th- I think we've pretty much covered it. Um, mm-hmm. Great, great character um yeah just great character driven uh bottle episode love it mm. far from stinky <laughs> yes <laughs> <laughs> no I, I did like the end uh, scene um I, it's nice that we're not going to go through that again um <laughs> but reed's trying to is this still real is it a dream uh, you know uh, no please don't 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 say oh stinky or something like that please and then he says something about heroics and then she says no i wasn't going to mention anything about heroics and he just gives that little smile and it says i'm really pleased that the previously it was a dream this i'm now back i'm safe and back home and we can get on with the uh, you know the rest of my life etc cetera, etc cetera, uh, without making it too embarrassing about trying to kiss her or something like that you know so yeah it was a nice a proper ending Oh wait, we did actually miss a bit, which is where Trip tries to um, do the the great sacrifice. Oh, of course. And Malcolm stops him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which I don't. I mean, I know I know we're going chronologically with this, but mm, um, I right. I have been in um, season two as well, and there's the episode where Malcolm is attached to a um, to a mine on the mm. ship and uh, tries to also do the great sacrifice. So he's he's not being the greatest. Um, He's not being the most uh, consistent about his views on this. Um, <laughs> he's, he won't let Trip um, do it, and I, I actually thought there might be resolution of that. Although I, I think is there a later episode where something like that happens, and then Trip does actually reprimand him. Ooh, uh, I feel I'm like trying to think there is. I think Trip definitely reprimands someone for stopping, um, for disobeying, um, and not letting him do the uh, the great sacrifice thing. Um, but I th- I th- I th- and I think that might be in the Zindi uh, series, which I think also shows mm. the growth of these people as gradually taking their jobs a little bit more seriously mm. as the, as they're going along and, and losing a bit of their humour and um, 
and um naivety as well mm. no yeah that, that's that's absolutely true i mean uh, the the idea that he's holding him with the phase pistol and you know uh I'm pretty sure that you know if you're knocked out, that's going to save us some oxygen anyway. Uh, it's it's a good idea. Um, it, it's weird that there's so many levels to this shuttle. Like it's that big. There's a second airlock above them that we've never seen before. Um, it, it the way they always open up the door, it just seems like that's the whole cavity. There, there's literally nothing else in the shuttle, but all of a sudden there's an airlock above them. So that's always nice to see. Um, it's like a it's like a VW camper van. It has an extendable <laughs> top. And they can just open it up, and there's the beds. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe there's like a Thunderbirdsy thing that uh, expands. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, there is a it is. I don't, I actually dislike the shuttle pod design. I mentioned when I was on last that it was Voyager was the first time I was watching Star Trek, is it? Mm. Was it? And I joined just when the Delta Flyer was in. So like to me, I'm just sort of like. First of all, is it the Delta Flyer? No. Okay, <laughs> we've got a problem. Um, second, I don't know. I, th- I think they made them just a little bit too small. Um, I don't know. I, I, I find it hard to believe that they couldn't have produced a sli- slightly um, slightly bigger shuttle and fit it in. Um, with, mm. You know, just a little bit more space. But, um, you know, it, it, it just feels like the Enterprise is consistently not primitive but rather just not fit for the purpose it's designed for in a lot, a lot of these situations it just just seems doesn't seem quite have been designed brilliantly um but yeah um them adding a new airlock to allow this to happen um, mm. makes sense but it does make sense there would be an airlock because it does dock from the top i guess True. So it's just a question of where it is um but yeah magic doors <laughs> all built by lieutenant hess so there we go You've got me thinking now that uh, when you said it's a bit Thunderbirdsy, uh, maybe what they should have done is had at the back of the um, uh, the Enterprise, the shuttle bay doors should have you know, like been like a roller shutter, and just rolled up, and then they've just had some like pot plants in you know, dotted <laughs> down the, the the runway there, so that when the shuttle starts to move forward, all these pot plants have to move out the way. And well, then the nacelles the just front. go flat. They the, the, the nacelles just go down completely yeah, flat yeah. and then they're out the way ready to be launched out the side uh, yeah maybe you should do that in voyager maybe i should put that into the pathfinder i think that's a good idea yeah, yeah. absolutely um brilliant that's it uh well we've located the episode it is november 9th and it is twenty-one fifty-one. thank you very much reed for putting it the beginning of the episode um we're moving on to the next in our criteria which is c for consequences um is there anything that happens in this episode that will affect how Starfleet runs itself and conducts its affairs? Will it have a lasting impact from here on in? Uh, we'll start with Paul. Um, this is pretty much a standalone episode. I mean, it's um, the, the only sort of consequences, if you like, is that um, you know, Malcolm and, and uh, Trip get a little bit closer, uh, understand each other a little bit better. Um, I've maybe become friends, although we don't actually see that happen, which is a, a little annoying. I mean, we'll come back to that maybe in, in a minute. But as for knock-on effect to anything, not a great deal. Matt? Well, I'd imagine that some survival protocols get made for this. I mean, the the um, the incident report, um, which I'm sure they're all filling out, as these <laughs> things happen, must be quite big. Because this, um, I mean, this is this has got to be the first trapped in a shuttle episode mm. 
Very true. I mean, is is it done so, so far? Yeah, first, yeah. yeah so as far as first time. Yeah. Even if you look at it in the chronological order that we've been doing, uh, this is the first completely trapped in a shuttle pod uh, episode. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah, which is it's a theme that you know stuff that always happens upon from the is it the Galileo Seven in, in mm-hmm. TOS where they crash land in that very early episode, mm. and um, there always seem to be survival protocols, but at the very beginning that from the very beginning they're just bickering about what they should do and you know um, as you could imagine if this was like a deep space nine era episode they would just go okay well we're gonna have to um phaser ourselves so that we all fall asleep <laughs> um at least most of us are asleep at once we'll go and watch um no conversation um listen to an audiobook and um you know conserve energy that sort of thing so it, it must have had behind the scenes um effects on shuttle design and um and like emergency protocols, I would guess. Absolutely. Perhaps mashed potato is always included in the ration pack, just in <laughs> case, maybe. Um, it, uh, I figured that maybe it improves the hull. Uh, the micro singularities are now something that deflector dishes are equipped to deflect, or the hull is strengthened in some way. So there's always this. So maybe technology is improving so that it will make the ship harder, tougher uh, in the long run. Um, and so that was the kind of consequences I was going for. But yeah, as Paul was saying, it's very contained. It is a character piece. It doesn't seem to affect anything else. It's heavily reliant upon other episodes before it because of all of the references to Reed's backstory as well, um, which may feature in a future criteria. Um, but it, it doesn't seem to lend itself to, well, this is the episode that obviously led to XYZ uh, when we think about TNG or we think about DS9. Um, there's no obvious allusions to this is the shuttle pod one disaster was the reason why this protocol was brought up. Um, so, yeah, we're not going to be referring back to this one, I don't think. Uh, next is A for alterations or expansions. Uh, anything you would have liked to have seen done differently. I can imagine one scene we probably want to cut out of this episode. Um, but uh, anything you would like to see done differently. Uh, Matt, starting. Well, I obviously think that he should have said stinky more. Yes, of course. Of I think course. it was a, a tragically underused um, uh, flirtation technique. Very true. Um, yeah, obviously, just just that dialogue. Not even the scene, just that dialogue. They could do the could do the revealing that um, Malcolm has um, designs onto Paul thing, um, but just just do the dialogue better in his dream. Mm. Um, yeah, I think that, that that's the big thing that I would change. And also um, the suggestions that you both had earlier on about more more um, extravagant um, aliens off screen, mm. um, maybe some sound effects as well. They could surely they could have done some like Hitchhiker's Guide like sound effects and, and and things. Yeah, I I agree. That's the, the that that scene. As much as I would like to remove the whole scene, mm. um, the, the scene is necessary for the end to work. Um, and you could argue you could take both scenes out, but no, I think a slight rewrite on on the uh, in that um, dream sequence uh, just to make it a little bit more mature, um, and we still get a good ending. So yeah, yeah, that's pretty much the only thing I'd like to see changed. Mm. Yeah, it. I enjoyed 
the smallness of the story so i quite like to keep it as just the shuttle pod normally with these things i'd like to say oh i'd like to learn about lieutenant hess and how does she build the door you know just these little tiny things you know have a little scene where it's archer like just trying to help with the repairs and then they learn more about these micro singularities so we just get a little bit more anti uh, uh to to the uh, to the episode just a bit more danger i guess but as it stands it it works and yes maybe stinky should be taken out and it should have been written just a little bit better maybe a bit funnier uh, where his subconscious is just going off on complete tangents maybe ulysses comes into it because he was talking about that so maybe there's some references there for uh, for the book lovers out there who've actually read ulysses i'm not one of them uh, but you know you could have all these different things all playing into it uh, maybe have superman uh, just a, a reference to kryptonite or something like that in his dream just because he's already mentioned it so it kind of fits more to that dream sequence uh, but other than that yeah as the episode stands i think it's good to go uh, and i don't think it needs much changing i mean i guess part of that as well is that i mean apart from the obvious exceptions we talked about it's so well written so well performed and so well directed it's got a really good pace to it mm. um, it's really difficult to i mean the the end does sort of feel lacking you kind of want that sort of closure moment mm. between malcolm and and trip to sort of mm. end it um but also like they've just they've clearly just run out of time and um it, it doesn't leave you you wanting because they've covered so much it's just um and you know that they're, they're both in the same room one of them's unconscious so you kind of see it you know it sort of promises a greater a greater friendship between them in the future mm. Um, but yeah, I just where, I just don't see where you would put anything in apart from taking out Stinky, and then maybe a little bit of Trekno babble about uh, micro synchronisation, maybe a little Trekno babble. Ugh, God, sorry, <laughs> um, run out of battery. Maybe a little Trekno babble <laughs> about micro singularities. Um, that was like you said it the first time. That was amazing. Well done. <laughs> I'll edit that one out. Uh, let's hit the button. <laughs> There we go. <laughs> yeah, more of that button. The yeah. <laughs> yes, that button. That that should need needs to be marketed across the world. Uh, yeah. Whoever gets it, whoever gets the rights to that button, they will make a fortune. <laughs> um, right. Well, we've had alterations, so now comes R. It's recommendations. So the two strands are to Star Trek fans and to non-Star Trek fans, and we'll start with Star Trek fans and Paul. Would you recommend to Star Trek fans? Um, yes, it's uh, it's good enough as a standalone episode. It's it's good enough to watch without um, having to worry about you know who these people are really. I mean, you, you know it's Trip and you know it's uh, it's Reed. Um, it gives you that little bit of uh, backstory to the characters. It shows you how their friendship is starting to uh, grow and where it, maybe this is the starting point of a of a, you know, of a bigger friendship. Um, it, it, it it's a good enough uh, in the, the jeopardy that it has is is, is you know well um, the pace is kept up so we, we're not you know at one point we think oh it's yes yes we've got nine days oh suddenly it's two oh my goodness so yeah it, it keeps up the uh, the tension a little bit um, there's a little bit of humour here and there um, just rewrite Malcolm a little bit better so that he is a little less over the top of the Britishness. Um, and it's fine as it is. I think yes, I would. Uh, I would recommend people watch it. Yeah, I, I would as well. I mean, I, th I think even this could be a really good um, gateway episode, you know, for the for the enterprise skeptics mm. who um, who buy into the unfair narrative that this was a weak um, weak show. <laughs> and you know, I think this could be. A, we'd have to obviously fully prepare them for Stinky, 
but <laughs> I think this could this could be a really it's possibly not the, the top of that list, but I think you know it's up there in terms of like what what, what episode from season one would I give to someone to say actually you know this is a good show, watch this, um, you know that they, they know what they're doing. You should give this a shot. Mm. I think this is a great episode. Yeah. Uh, I'm with both of you on that. It it is one of those standout ones. It's one of the ones people do talk about quite frequently whenever they mention the first season of Enterprise as the exception to why season one is one that you can kind of skip and maybe you should move on to the Zindi arc. Um, they always say, "Oh well, Shut Up One is a good one, so go go watch that and then come on, come back to season two, season three, and so on." Um, so yeah, to Star Trek fans, yes, I think we're all going to be recommending. What about non-Star Trek fans, though? Uh, people who need to be brought into the season for the first time. Um, the brainwashing kit is the way I always talk about it. You know, if you really want to get someone into Star Trek, do you think ShuttlePod 1 works for that, uh, Paul? Uh, possibly. Uh, it's got a good enough... As you say, it's one of the better uh, ShuttlePod episodes, you know, where you do get that tension. There's two characters there. Whether it has enough of the other characters to sort of get a, a, you know, a meaningful uh, episode out of it, I don't know. Uh, you, if you if you don't know who the other characters are, then you might be a little lost as, as to you know, who these people are, why they're being called you know, stinky and all this type of thing. Um, but if you, as Matt said, if you explain that to somebody before they watch the episode, then um, it, it's not it's it's okay it's not you know it's, it's a good one for for non-star trek there's a, there's a little bit of science in there so you can say about the you know, the micro singularities um and they do mention about using up oxygen and what have you so um there is a little bit of science there so yeah it, it could be an okay one it wouldn't be the first one that i'd jump up and say that's the one you need to watch this will you'll understand star trek if you get this you'll certainly understand a little bit more about science fiction maybe um it's just a couple of characters stuck in a in a shuttle pod and you know that, that's it but as for star trek understanding it's more about star trek and an introduction to star trek probably not i think it would depend on their interests i, th- I can you know someone who may be into plays likes you know good dialogue by person focused stories and you're sort of saying you know you really should take star trek seriously i would say that uh, this will be an episode from the whole of star trek that you could pick mm. so, no star trek as a whole has these real moments where it's you can have these stripped down of course it's got the the funny short for the funny foreheads and and the lasers and the pew pews and, and and things like that but you know it's 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 a franchise that's capable of mm. of these real moments you know you know be Targeted at a certain sort of person who's never really watched Star Trek. Yeah, you, I would absolutely recommend this. Hmm. If because taking it outside of the show and just sort of looking at the the genres that it's intersecting with, um, I think there's a lot of this could be a thing that could bring a lot some people in and sort of think, wow, actually, you know, I thought that Star Trek was just pew pews and foreheads. <laughs> it's not as real, um, real emotional, uh, interpersonal dynamics as well. Hmm. It's interesting you said about plays, actually. Just thinking about it, it, as an episode goes, there are very few that I think could be adapted into a stage play, but it does feel that way with this one. You could have the two actors on uh, you know, on stage uh, pretending to be stuck in a shuttle pod and um, you know, the, the whole conversation they would have had for the, uh, was it three or four days that they're stuck inside there, you know, elaborate a little bit more on some of the discussions on why they feel certain ways. So, yeah, I can see that. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, I think the uh, the production team made sort of said that they sort of said when, when they were 
interviewed about it, they said it would they could have done it on stage. Mm. And I think, according to Memory Alpha, anyway, I think this is the only Star Trek episode with no guest stars. Mm. Yes, and, yeah, that was one of the little things I found as well. Yeah, yeah, and it's um, and it's it hasn't even got all of the the main stars either mm. because uh, Mayweather it only appears as uh, audio. Mm. on the con um apart from that it is just um you know, really really stripped down um yeah i would i would watch this on stage i think mm. like an extended version of uh, malcolm and trip um you know hear me do you hear me paramount do it tour it <laughs> i'll go then they'll do it as a one-man show and it's one man doing all the parts and it's all it's very lower decks and it's just one person the one-man show of Shuttlepod one uh, maybe that is maybe a lower from decks the reference. point of yeah maybe from the point of view of the meatloaf <laughs> <laughs> do it yes absolutely yeah whoever is out there listening to this who is a far more talented scriptwriter than any of us um go for it just just go and may produce it please um the meatloaf does shuttle pod one um so that is it uh, any other comments uh recommendations or anything like that no okay then well uh there's only one rating left for me so it leaves to me to thank both of my guests both paul and matt before i leave uh, let's plug some podcasts uh starting with paul uh, where can the listeners find you? Well, they, they can find me on uh, two podcasts at the moment. Uh, we do the Cosmic Pizza podcast with yourself, Dan, and uh, Sean Vandaloo as well, where we talk about anything and everything, um, in which we have a really interesting uh, recording uh, tomorrow as we uh, as we speak. Yes. Um, it should come out in the middle of November if, I'm, if we get everything right, uh, with an, a science fiction author called Julia Honey. So... Uh, that'll be probably one of our biggest episodes we've recorded. Mm. Um, when you when you read what she's done, it's amazing. So, yep, yeah, uh, we, we've got that. And we've also got the Epsilon 3, which is a Babylon 5 rewatch podcast, and rewatch and review podcast, uh, where we take every episode, watch it, pull it to bits, say how much we like it, and um, very short, quick sort of uh, recordings, and we throw them out every week, comes out on a Sunday. Mm. Perfectly timed. In the, still, in the, yes, that's a perfectly timed. Yes, mm. seeing as there could be a reboot in the uh, in the offing. Um, but yeah, that comes out every Sunday, uh, 30, 20, 20 to thirty minutes long uh, each one. We're up to about episode seven or eight at the moment, so you haven't missed many if you want to go back and listen to them. Unless you're listening to this in a few years' time, then there's a problem. Very true. Very true. Uh, Matt. Um, so um, you can find me on the uh, Philosophize podcast. That's uh, fun- spent in a funny, punny way, which um, which is kind of odd for an audio-based medium, but it's spelled <laughs> Philo, Sci-Fi, Z, all one word, Philosophize, um, uh, where me and my film philosopher friend talk, uh, Dave, we talk about um, sci-fi, on-screen sci-fi, um, films, um, TV shows, eventually we will be doing and we give um, them a really detailed philo- philosophical analysis discussing the issues that they um, that they bring up. Um, our one rule is, um, I mean, it's not it's not a it's not a critical or it's not sort of like a critical or film criticism podcast. It is we, we say positive things about what the films uh, film does and what you can uh, do with it with your own thinking. Um, 
yeah and so we're on twitter as well with the same name at philosophize philo sci-fi z and hopefully you'll manage with that <laughs> done, i'll put something in the description <laughs> absolutely absolutely yeah all links will be found below uh dear listeners uh Excellent. well thank you guys uh once again uh, as always whenever you guys are on you make the episode better so thank you very much uh right all that remains is the last criteria which is s for setup for the next episode join me next time for chrono date season three episode 18 of the podcast and season one episode 16 of enterprise as we go to fusion uh the topol episode uh i'm not entirely sure who's up my guest is going to be as i've gone through some changes so uh it'll definitely be me and possibly someone else who knows it'll be a fusion perhaps of me and another guest i don't know uh but uh, thank you as always for listening and i'll see you in the next time stream I hope you've enjoyed the show. Please remember to like, subscribe and review wherever you listen to it. If you would like to be a guest in the future or give feedback, you can contact me by either searching for the Temple Trek Podcast Facebook page or find me on Twitter at Rider underscore Coattail. Also search the Temple Trek Podcast. You can also find me on Instagram at Daniel underscore Hitch underscore Writer. Scripted elements of the show or a work of pure fan fiction, and any views and opinions expressed in the episode discussions are my own or that of the guest. They do not reflect the rights holders of Star Trek. Any Star Trek sound effects or music are used under the terms of fair use and are not my own work. The intro music, Birthright by Audio Binger, is royalty-free from the Free Music Archive. Check out their work and others at freemusicarchive.com. The Temple Trek is a free podcast with no Patreon or sponsorship. However, if you would like to support the show, you can find my books by searching Daniel Peter Hitch on Amazon. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you in the next time stream.